Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nicholas Investment Insights. Today we look at the lucky country's 28 years of uninterrupted GDP growth and contrast that to seven years of declining real household income per capita. As more, every, as more everyday Australians are beginning to realise that their share in economic prosperity is being eroded, we thought it was a great time to run through our take on where some trouble spots are emerging that threaten to disrupt Australia's historically lucky trajectory. Joining me on today's flight is Nucleus Wealth's Chief Economist, Leith Van Onselen. G'day, Leith. G'day, Tim. And Nucleus Wealth's Head of Investments, Damien Klassen. Hello, Damien. Hi, Tim. Fantastic. So with no further ado, let's jump into it. So the agenda for today, we're going to start off by looking at the seven, uh, 28 years of success or seven years of disaster, rolling then into some figures around uh, workers and consumption. We're then going to be having a look at the topic of net exports, uh, capital expenditure or CapEx for short. And then, of course, rounding out, as we always do, on how these themes impact the portfolios we run every day here at Nucleus Wealth. So to start us off, let's have a look at uh, the first topic, 28 years of success or seven years of disaster. Who would like to begin? Leith. Yeah, I'll, mate, I'll take the, the baton here. Uh, look, yeah, yes, uh, we've just had the June quarter GDP results out and surprise, surprise, there was another quarter of growth. Uh, the economy grew, up, grew by half a percent. Uh, over the June quarter, uh, but annual growth weakened to 1.4%. And um, that was actually the weakest uh, annual growth since uh, 2001 uh, in, um, on, on aggregate returns. But the biggest story here is that uh, Australia is actually experience a, experiencing a per capita recession. Um, the population is growing by 1.6% every year. And obviously, if the economy is growing by 1.4%, that means that per capita, everyone's slice of the economic growth is actually going backwards. But... This didn't stop the Australian Treasurer, uh, Josh Frydenberg, uh, coming out. Um, immediately after the results came out, he, he sent out a tweet where he said that um, that Australia's just had their 28th year of consecutive growth and the the, uh, the Australian economy is remarkably resilient. Uh, so, you know, it's it's all good if you're in government land. Uh, the economy's still growing. We've, we're, we're, I think, we're, I think we're the second, uh, we've had the second longest uh, spell of aggregate growth in uh, in modern history, I think, behind uh, Japan. Um, and we overtook the Netherlands last year. So, you know, according to the uh, the big wigs in government, Australia's economy is still a powerhouse. Uh, but not so if you flick to... Um, I, I've uh, put together a chart here which actually compares us, um, the coalition's growth record, the, the per capita growth record uh, since the coalition was elected in 2003. And, 2013. Sorry, 2013. Yeah. Uh, slip of the tongue there. Um, and what it shows is that Australia's economy has badly underperformed all major uh, OECD economies. Uh, the OECD as a whole, the European Union, the G7, um, we're behind Japan, Germany, United Kingdom, United States. Uh, just to put some figures around that if you don't have the chart in front of you, uh, Australia's GDP per capita grew by about uh, five point, well, about around 5% between uh, 2013 and 2018. And that compares to um, about 9% for the OECD, um, nearly 10% for the EU, Japan, even Japan, which everyone always says Japan's, Japan's this basket case whose economy, you know, is one that Australia shouldn't try and replicate. Well, guess what? Japan's per capita growth went up by 5.8% over the same period, so it beat Australia's. Uh, Germany's ahead of ours, United Kingdom's ahead of ours, uh, United States is well ahead of ours. Uh, basically, we are a laggard across the world. 
um, over the coalition's terms. So, um, so the only thing that's that, that's making the Australian economy look good is that we're running a world-beating immigration program and of much stronger uh, population growth. And the other key thing to note over that period is that um, we went from being a a moderately sized um, exporter of, of LNG to one of the world's largest exporters now of, of LNG. We're about to be about to be number one. We sort of we flipped in and out, um, and so and and that's a big factor in GDP growth. Mm. So so while we've gone from being yeah, well, a lot of that growth has actually just been this this big uplift in in LNG which is all going to foreign um, foreign companies and mm. you've sort of lost you, know, you, you don't see that within the numbers which is why on the next chart you can see if you if you come back to household disposable income um, that's actually falling mm. that's right so uh, real per capita household disposable income is actually lower today than it was seven years ago so um, I put up a macro business earlier in the week, uh, maybe it was late last week, that uh, Australia's had this seven-year recession that no one talks about, but I was talking about the falling household, uh, real household disposable income growth per capita. And, and, and Terry, can you just explain, then, Leith, just the, the difference between the, the GDP per capita and, and real household disposable income? Yeah, so real household disposable income is obviously what uh, what, what households get um, in terms of income, wages, etc., mm. whereas GDP counts uh, other stuff. Mm. Like it counts, uh, GDP is basically a volume measure, and it counts uh, you know, net exports, um, etc. So GDP captures both you know, corporates, government, and households. Mm. Uh, so ca- so it captures all three sectors. Whereas the one that really matters to, let's face it, what, what matters to the ordinary Australian is not what's happening to corporations; it's what's happening to households. Yep, and their their incomes are going have basically been going backwards uh, for the past seven years. And just to add to Dano's point, where he said that about LNG exports, um, that's propped up GDP growth because we're, we're selling more volumes. But apart from the fact that it's that most of the gains are well, the income goes pro- primarily overseas because they're foreign owned. It's actually worse than that because the LNG exports are actually pushing up domestic energy prices through gas prices. So. Uh, households are effectively paying this private tax on top of that, mm. um, which which is also you know it, it doesn't ca- doesn't it's not captured in the income figures, mm. but it raises their costs. Yep. So I've got it's effectively a boom that actually sends households bust. Yep. Yep. So it's uh, it's even more negative than that. Fantastic. Okay. Yep. And so then to put that into sort of a bigger perspective, now this is we've got a chart up, which is the next one. Um, and it's, it's probably you. You might need to go to one of the websites where we've posted this and 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 have a look. Nucleuswealth.com or, or Macro Business has, has got it on there. A few other places. Uh, and, and what we're trying to show is really just in, in big picture sense how big are, are different areas of the economy, and then how fast are they growing either on a, on an annual or a quarterly basis. And so so we've got these these sort of bubbles that sit on the chart that that show where where's green and where's red, which is the greens are, are, are parts that are going up and and the, and the reds are a part that are going down, and that's where we're going to focus in on this uh, as, as we go through the rest of this presentation. Uh, so that so the idea was that there's there's some pretty clearly from here you can see there's some pretty dark red um, on the investment side, so the investments are, are definitely falling, and so we want to have a look at, at that area, which is the capital expenditure side. Uh, the government expenditure, government consumption is, is very strong at the other end. So uh, spending a lot of money, not on government capex. Government capex has actually been uh, a little bit weak recently, and we'll go a little bit more into that, into that. But but there has been some strong spending in in in, um, in government circles for for their sort of ongoing expenditure. And also uh, NDIS is a big 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 part of that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah, that's 
um, yeah, a major part of those. And then the um, the other parts that are, that are key is that exports is, is very green in terms of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, uh, the consumption is quite weak. Uh, and so we'll sort of dig into a, a few of those areas. So consumption sort of running at that that same um, you know one point four percent for for in, in total, which is which is negative on a per capita basis. Mm, okay. So, so people spending less money. Uh, yeah. And so let's so that sort of gives you a sort of big picture sense of, of, of what's happening within the economy, and then we'll jump in sort of bit by bit and, and have a look at those. All right. Sure. So workers and consumption. Yeah, so consumption is a really important one for the economy because it makes up around 55% of uh, the nation's growth. So um, it, it is the primary driver of, uh, of the economic growth, both domestic demand and, um, and GDP. And the notable thing here is that, um, you know, over the past, uh, well, it's really been going on for the past 30 years, but especially in the last decade or so, the, the, uh, the wages share of the economy, so this is, how much of the nation's income is going to, going to workers in wages? Mm-hmm. It's actually fallen to the lowest level since uh, since the Beatles toured in the mid nineteen sixties. Oh, there's a nice stat for you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, yeah, I better give Jer- uh, Greg Jericho a plug for that one because he actually <laughs> used that line. So, um, but um, which, which I thought was pretty good, so I stole it. Happier times back then, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, so, so just to give you a bit of perspective, um, back in um, back in the sort of early nineteen eighties and the late seventies, about you know sixty. 60% of uh, national income went to workers, and now it's fallen to about 50, 51%, 52%. So mm-hmm. it's been falling for decades, but it's again, it's fallen to the lowest level since the mid-1960s. So, so this sort of tells the story again. The agri-economy's looking all right. Mm. Well, not, not great. It's still pretty bad. But um, it's looking a lot better than obviously what's happening in the households, mm. which mm. again is why we've got this seven years of um, real household disposable income well, it's, yeah it's masking it essentially is what, that's what it yeah, yeah yeah so so you know the government can say oh we've got growth we've got growth but obviously the, the per capita economy is bad mm. but the per capita household the average household is even worse yep so it's a pretty bad picture and um as you'd expect when when you've got such a low share of the nation's income going to households and household disposable income effectively falling mm. um eventually it's going to impact consumption mm. And we're starting to see that now with um, with real household consumptions now falling to around about the lowest level since the global financial crisis. We sort of hit the same level in 2013, but but the trend's pretty bad here. And um, that's that's precisely what you'd expect. Mm. So, you know, obviously, households are struggling with income. And, and, and the situation would actually be worse than that um, if it wasn't for... We've got another chart here, the next one. Um, the, the next chart shows that the uh, house, the falling household consumption has actually flowed through the retail sales, where real growth is actually the lowest since the early nineties recession. Right. So falling consumption, but that's also been impacted, you know, by retailers. This is why we've got retailers, all bar JB Hi-Fi, pretty much uh, reporting, you know, weak trading results and yep. etc. So, um, so it's bas- basically zero. Yeah. With with an extra one point six percent people. That's right. Every year. <laughs> yeah. So again, <laughs> negative per. I didn't bother deflating it by per capita, but it's just uh, you know, on an aggregate term, despite the fact we've got a very strong population growth uh, historically, um, it's the lowest since the early nineties recession. So it's pretty much at recessionary levels, mm-hmm. and it would in fact be even worse if you if you're watching this live and you got the chart in front of you. That I've got a chart on the right there which shows that the household savings rates fallen to the lowest level since the uh, since the global financial crisis mm-hmm. in the post GFC period. So what this means is that households have effectively been uh, leveraging up on debt and drawing down savings um, in, in order to maintain their consumption, the f- 
uh, in the face of falling incomes. Mm. Now, Australia's household savings rate should be positive. Um, you know, the, the, the default should be pretty strongly positive because we've got, obviously, compulsory superannuation, which count, gets counted in that. Yeah, right. Okay. Yep. And the fact that it's fallen means that it's uh, fallen beyond what's been compulsorily uh, saved. And also the um, record low interest rate environment as well surely would feed back into that, would it, in, in terms of um, after after mm. debt, debt repayments and, and everything else? Yeah, this is more the... Uh, I guess that that probably helps you a little bit, but but I think that that's also exacerbated. The other side of the problem is that people keep taking out more debt. Yeah, they're levering so, up. Okay, yeah. it's great. Great, we've had lower interest rates, but but rather than take that saving and use that to to save money, yeah, people have gone happy days. I'll I'll double the size of my house, thanks. Yeah, yeah. okay. And and despite the fact we've had this, um, you know, obviously housing creation, etc. Um, the Household debt to disposable income, like partly this reflects the fact that disposable income is falling mm. in real terms. That that's still rising. So, um, so we've got basically households borrowing to maintain a really crappy level of consumption, mm. which is obviously not sustainable. I mean, you you, you can't borrow forever, mm. um, and even when even if that's stabilised, uh, that would drag down consumption. Let alone if households just decided to uh, save again, mm. that would um, obviously also hit consumption. So. It's pretty weak across the board there. And, and I guess the, the main point for me is that it's hard to see what's going to change. So uh, this where we're sitting at with this, so this is our first part is this workers and consumption is very weak and potentially can get weaker uh, as that savings, um, you know, people even to stabilise the savings ratio. But um, it's, it's very difficult to see any policies or, or any changes and um, that is actually going to make any meaningful difference to, to any of these things we're talking about so at the moment i think that the hope is that uh house prices you know the government's throwing a lot of resources at trying to lend more money to 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 people in the housing market yep with the hope that stabilizing house prices will then mean that everyone gets out and spends money Mm. um and i guess where i'm positing is saying well it's that's that's a difficult argument to have at this point because you know, as wages keep getting lower and and you're not doing anything on the wages front, mm. um, and it's almost you've ruled out every all of the tax changes that, that might have helped to sort of spur productivity, is that um, until we actually see something change, it's from a policy level or from a from a from sort of a macro level, mm. um, you, you have to expect more of the same. Yep. Okay. In this right. area. Fair enough. Okay, we'll, we'll roll into uh, net exports. So we've got a couple of good charts here. And just as a note for anyone who's listening in the podcast, of course, there is the uh, pod, uh, the, the show notes. Uh, in the show notes, you'll find the, the webinar slides in a, in a PDF form. There's a link there. But uh, we'll, we'll kick on to the boom's effect on the real economy is over. It's a good, good starting point. Yeah, so what I wanted to do here was contrast the two parts. So, so on one side, on the left-hand side, we've got uh, the exports from oil, coal, gold, and natural gas, and you can see all of them are sort of uh, a nice upward sloping line in terms of uh, the money that's coming in from from those sectors. Except for gold, that's the one. Except for gold, yeah. yes. Um, then you say, then you go, okay, what is that? What's what effect is that going to have on the Australian economy? Now, because a lot of these are uh, foreign-owned companies, and, and particularly in the um, in the LNG space, where in the gas space, where uh, a bunch of foreign companies have come and set up very large um, projects in Australia mm-hmm. and spent a lot of money to do so. Mm. And that's where you can see the, the on the right-hand side, we can see the mining capex going from sort of 1% to, to over 6% of GDP in terms of the amount of money that's been spent. So yep. um, Gorgon alone 
Um, so it was a space over a number of years, but this huge project was about was almost five percent of G- Australia's GDP. Just wow. one single project mm, mm. Um, that added to um, you know employment and and um, well, the wealth effect, I guess, essentially. Yeah, manufacturing and, and all and, these other things yeah, that went property. into that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's over. Yep. You know now now they've now they're um they've, they're just putting the final touches on it and scaling everything right back. And that's the case right across that entire sector. So we can see that um, the capex has sort of gone from one percent back, you know, right up to that six percent, which sort of coincided with that the, the bubble we're seeing in the middle of the the um, the export graph. So yep. basically, the exports all kicked up. Um, everyone went happy days. Look at all this money we're making. Hey, we, what we really should do is go and, go and set up more of these projects. Mm-hmm. And so then they rushed out and put on all these other projects. And that then led to the uh, this huge capex boom, which which was great for the Australian economy. Mm. We've seen now, though, it, it, from the 2017 onwards, um, we've seen that line then pick up again as, uh, first of all, as the LNG exports actually start, and secondly, as we've had this sort of second mining boom from um, a lot of it's iron ore-based where um, you know, Brazilian mines, mine issues and, and the price um, we've seen for iron ore has gone significantly higher. But that hasn't had an effect on the CapEx this time around. Right. So if you're not getting the transmissions from uh, the resources sector from through to CapEx, then the, and also our, our LNG um, royalty regime is is basically, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think we're getting um, you know, sort of five or $600 million in royalties, whereas Qatar, which is basically level with us, gets like you know, 20-something billion dollars in royalties from well, theirs. Yep. So we're just like chalk and cheese in terms of the amount that the government's actually getting from it. Mm. So... Um, there's there's sectors in the Australian economy that are, that are doing quite well, but they're foreign owned. Um, they've got all these huge tax losses, so they're not paying any tax. They're not yep. paying royalties because they they struck a great royalty deal, and so uh, the rest of Australia has not seen the effect of it. And, and also, the mines are becoming increasingly automated as well. So, mm. uh, the, the Reserve Bank did a really good paper um, during the height of the I think 2012 it came out during the height of the the mining uh, the commodity price and um, construction boom. And they said that about 10% of the economy was employed in mining or mining-related industries. Mm. But most of that was the construction side. Yeah, that's right. And it's only about 2% of the actual, uh, less than 2% of the actual economy is employed in actual mining extraction. Mm. And as Damo said, now we don't have the um, the construction to go along with it. That's wiped out a lot of you know, jobs and that's, that's, and that's wiped out um, the, the transmission mechanism between these rising exports, rising commodity prices, and Australian workers. Mm. Yep. And so that's why GDP looks good, but the effect for the average person on the street is no different. So we're going backwards yeah, in, terms yeah. of, in terms of um, household income. Because GDP measures volumes. Yep. So, you know, measure, like in terms of commodities, it measures tons of dirt or whatever shifted. No, the value, you know, it's, it's all about volumes. Mm. So it's, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't do anything for, well, it's not doing anything for the for, for the household income side. Yeah, it's, which not, is a, what, it's not a lifestyle measure. It's no, a, no, of course it's not. It's a flow, and, flow measure. And you can yeah. argue this is why there's, you, you get political instability from these. And, and, and you can argue that, you know, the, the rise of um, politicians like a, a Trump or, or a Boris Johnson mm. come from the fact that, um, the the average worker in a lot of uh, in in Britain and and the UK sorry Britain and the US has done quite poorly out of the whole boom and yep. and when uh, politicians turn around to people and say hey you guys have never had it so good yeah the numbers look, are fantastic look at how good these numbers are <laughs> and people are sitting there looking at their pay packet going just a minute I'm not I'm not seeing that is when you get the rise of politicians that that then come up to say well I can fix that for you yeah let sure. me let me sort it out yep. Australia hasn't had as much of that problem because we did have that mining boom to um, to really push 
um, you know, yeah, hundred like shop dollar essentially truck wasn't... drivers and, yep, and yep. all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but since two thousand and twelve, we have, mm. and so that's the question now is is whether that's yeah, you know, where that leads politically. But um, you know, I guess coming back to that main point on the export side is uh, net exports net, ex- net exports have been great, but mm-hmm. they don't do anything for the for the average person in the street. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure thing. We'll jump across to uh, public capital expenditure. Yeah, as well. so or capital t- expenditure in general. I've got two yep. two capital. So we spoke about the the mining capital expenditure. Now I wanted to focus in on the other two parts. So it's, well, the other main parts is the the, the uh, this is one area where we've seen there was on that on that big graph there was some really red spots on that graph, and so uh, the question is how much further can that fall? So if we're looking at, at GDP and what's going to arrest the fall, mm. quite often it is that capital expenditure goes through these cycles yep. and you have like a, be- a boom period and then you go through a bust period, then you go through another boom period and, and the economy then follows b- behind that in terms of the spending starts and it pushes through the rest of the economy. So um, there's a lot of talk out there about how how large the um, or how much money that, that's being spent in terms of these big capital um, expenditure projects, new uh, railways, new roads, um, you know, infrastructure. <laughs> We're talking, yeah, MBN. We're talking about how we're probably going to need a fair bit more water, mm. uh, you know, coming up over the next little while. A few desal plants in Sydney. Yep. Yeah, um, to, to cope with extra population. Uh, the issue is two, on two parts. One is uh, on a per capita basis, it doesn't look as good mm-hmm. because the net result is, you know, if, yes, you're building, you're spending lots of money, but if you're bringing in all these people every year and, and population is growing, then you need to do a lot more than what you're doing in yep. the prior years. Yep. Um, but also, there's this, there's this little bit of a hole coming up over the next uh, year or two as some of these big, bigger projects roll off. And so the, we've got a, a chart up here showing um, the major public projects. So this is a, this is government spending, and you can see the peak was there in 2017-18, and is slightly lower in 2019-2019. And there's a, there's another bigger uh, step off into 2019-2020. Now, having said that. You know, I, I take the the longer term measures on this with a little bit of a grain of salt because there are you can see big changes to the, yeah. to the forecast numbers, so you can't you can't take them as as gospel. But but look, the two thousand eighteen num- nineteen numbers we've seen that yes they came off. Mm. Uh, the two thousand and nineteen twenty are, are pretty much baked in. It's pretty hard to go out and spend lots of money on capex projects, uh, even as a government. Yep. In in such a short period of time, and there's really long lead times, isn't there? That's with, right. With yeah. capex Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. And, and yeah. there's also a lot of concern at the moment about um, being you know not enough capacity in concrete, in yep. uh, labour, etc. So mm. they you know they, they are. Reportedly running against capacity constraints and how much they can actually yeah. build more. So. I still reckon though that with the with the apartment boom coming off, then that'll free up. Yeah, from a labour perspective. Yeah, uh, but all, also all the, all, all the um, concrete and, and all those other factors. Yeah, but but I guess there is that point about saying, um, let's say there's this big project you want to do a, a ultra fast railroad railway. Um, it's a favourite of Leith's, I'm sure. Yeah. After Geelong, he said, "Yeah, no. well, let's, let's go spend a couple hundred billion on on building on a white elephant." Yeah. <laughs> um, if you rushed out and said, "Yeah, okay, that's it. We've got. We really got to do this to get the economy going," you got three or four years mm. of before you um, even start. Yeah, that's yeah, right. and 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 you, you can't spend lots of money because you're basically going, you're getting engineers to do a bunch of things to all the planning and all that type of stuff. You, it's not a matter of. Of let's get a whole bunch of bodies out there with, on shovels digging stuff. Yeah. Well, a, a classic example of that's the uh, the supposed fifty billion dollar rail loop in Melbourne. Yep, uh, that's oh, supposed the, to be um, built the over the ring. Yeah, 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 yeah well, it's yeah. actually going to be more like a hundred billion. But uh, aside from that, um, the government says that this is a thirty year project, mm. and they reckon they're not going to even start doing 
any kind of this construction until 2022. Well, yeah. So they're just spending money on, you know, consultants, reports, blah, 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 blah. Mm. So, yeah, and you've got to acquire the land. and like There's yeah, a lot, there's there's a lot, lot of stuff. Yeah. And, and so... And um, meanwhile, uh, the boundary of Melbourne is just marching further and further out in every direction as well. Yeah. It's probably yeah. compounding that issue a bit. Yeah, but anyway. We won't, we won't get you guys into the soap. <laughs> yeah. Go, 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 soapbox about <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> stoking that fire, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I guess the... Long lead times. Where, where it comes to is long lead times, uh, the next couple of years, we're, we're actually looking at falling government capex. Mm. Then you say, okay, what's happening on the uh, on the private capex side? Because mining's one part of it, and and I've got a chart up here that you can see the big sort of mining boom um, up there in two thousand and twelve. Where uh, so this is showing private capex how big it is is a percentage. So we saw that uh, mining sort of went from one percent to six percent of, yep. of the, and then it's back down to to a little bit under two at the moment. Um, the rest of the economy sort of. Generally, cycles somewhere between six and and ten percent mm. of the, uh, or maybe a little bit lower than that. And the issue is, um, so we had this big mining boom that pushed out a lot of other capex. So yep. you went, okay, well that that meant you know manufacturing capex that could have been done or others it just just didn't get done because uh, the the Australian dollar got pushed so high. We had all the the car um, Cl- manufacturers car all, all closed down. Yep. So uh, all this capex that could have been done. Was, was literally squeezed out was was of, of the economy mm. uh, and what that's meant is the fall as the fall has happened so now we've gone back down from 11 percent back to almost six percent now which is a halving essentially nearly yeah close um, is that now you're saying okay well great now all our car manufacturers and all these other guys can now start spending there and they're like well yeah, they've already closed down they're shut. Yeah. like they're not <laughs> they've left not, the building <laughs> yeah you need to get to the stage where yeah. um, those other sectors do want to spend money and um, it isn't looking close. So if you run through the bigger sectors, so manufacturing, for example, has fallen from sort of two percent ish of, of GDP down to half a percent mm. and just showing no signs at all of, of coming back. Like mm. there's still CapEx happening within the sector, but no signs of it increasing its share. Yep. Um there you look at the um the the telco side. So we had this big spend on um on uh, the NBN, yep. which was not only uh, you know, a lot of that was subcontracted out. So you did see private sector as well as public sector. Yep. But um, that's coming off now. So mm. that's now past its peak. It's, it's in the rundown stage. So again, you, you're seeing that fall. So when we look through the, the private sector CapEx, um, it's, it's probably pretty close to its bottom. Uh, but it's, it's, again, very hard to see what's going to turn that around. There's no industries left to self-stabilize it. Yeah, you sort of need a, <laughs> effectively you need a lot of currency to get to the stage where mm. um, these, these will come in. And, and that's where the RBA is actually, actually out there and it knows that's what it's... That's what it wants to do. It doesn't want another housing boom. It well just wants a fifty cent. It would be dollar. better. It would be, it, yeah. It realised it'd be better off with a without another housing boom, but with a lower dollar, so that then um, you can bring in more of this this other capex to sort of help start the next cycle. Mm. But it's, it's um, also why the RBA is trying to pressure the federal government to boost infrastructure as well. So. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And business. Yeah, but okay. again, that's you can see where we are. Like, not only with the lead time of saying we've got we've got a lead time now of trying to convince the government, hey, things are pretty bad. You really should get out and spend infrastructure. With the government saying, no, 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 we need it. We need a we surplus. Need a surplus. Yeah. And so you need you need a lag time for more bad economic data to hit for them to then go, oh, okay, yeah, we do actually need to spend more money in infrastructure. Mm. And, and by that then stage, it's going to be you know it'll take. There's a lead time. But mm. and would you say that the um, the infrastructure spend though is sort of like a bit of a panacea in the sense it's a stopgap thing that they can use in, in an emergency. We can just you know we can create a project that lasts say three or four years or five years mm. as opposed to an industry which runs for fifty years and hires you know tens of thousands of people, which mm. you know those have sort of vacated in a way. And the infra- infrastructure for mine, you know, outside of the pot Ponzi sort of you know relent 
relentless sort of requirements. Mm. Um, as you say, when it rolls off, we've probably had two or three prime ministers by then as well, so no one really knows where the tail's going, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and you need to keep building more to well, keep yeah. growth going. Well, yeah. well, you just got to keep this pulling this one lever because all the other self stabilizers yeah. that pick up when mining booms roll off in you yeah. know, corporate capex yeah, is, sure. is, is missing. And, and having a, a housing boom, well, I mean, having housing booms help in terms of construction. Housing construction booms help, but but trying to engineer a housing construction boom. Um, because of all the extra people you've brought in yeah. to, to, to build stuff for the people that you've brought in and then you've got to build stuff behind it and, and you're sort of saying, well, just a minute, we're only creating our own demand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yep. You would be better off having... We've got a circular reference here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so so that sort of brings us back to the to the sort of investment implications, which is saying, okay, we've, we've given you these four areas of the economy that are, that are having positive and negative effects, mm. um, but it's very hard to see what's going to change in any of them mm. so um yeah we seem to be stuck in this in this in this loop and it's a grind lower and so at the moment it seems to be as if um the hope is um we'll spend you know we're, we're basically either praying for another um disaster in somewhere like brazil that pushes commodity prices higher short term once um, again exactly short -term safe. <laughs> a, a disaster in one of our competitors for yep. resources which will send prices higher which um has worked so far, yep, <laughs> sure. yeah, yeah. but it's not a. Uh, it doesn't sound like a, a good long term plan. Mm. Um, and 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 waiting, looking at the Australian economy and saying, well, what's going to change within within the structure at the moment? Um, interest rates have been lowered a little bit, mm. but um, nothing significant. Yeah. Like, and, and we haven't got any scope on that front. Uh, so so you know, if lower interest rates were going to be the miracle that turned our economy around, um, that would have happened. Mm. Um, years ago, because <laughs> mm, yeah. it's been happening for yeah, yeah. So, so at the moment, in terms of the way we look at it from an investment perspective, is saying uh, we're in this grind lower, mm. and we're stuck in this grind lower until something changes. Searching, searching for an answer, sort yeah. Of thing, essentially. And the hope is the thing that changes will be a positive change in mm. terms of structural reform or um, you know big infrastructure spends or, or something that actually you know, pushes the uh, you know, changes the the. Uh, the dynamic of the Australian economy, yep. and not a negative effect, which is um, a big offshore shock, which mm. then pushes you know things lower. So, so when you're stuck in this in this um, in this part where you're saying uh, we have an Australian stock market that's quite expensive, we have um, little chance of positive outcomes. Mm. So, and the, and the, the, there are certainly positive outcomes, but but the the, the chance and the upside to positive outcomes is relatively limited. And then you have the, the the possible big negative shock of of something happening offshore, mm -hmm. or um, you know the Australian the the housing unemployment rising in Australia and the housing market not managing to hold on, um, and so that sort of leaves you with that part of saying so that's saying look there's there's better assets to own than, than Aussie equities out there. Yeah, okay, yep, great answer. Um, and just a note for anyone listening in to feel free to drop in a question. I've just got a quick one. So the um, so obviously just recently been through the ASX uh, reporting period, Australian um, company reporting period. And, um, and Leith mentioned before, so retail obviously in the doldrums and with plenty of evidence to, to sort of show why that might be the case. Yeah. Um, from your experience, uh, Damien, just keeping an eye on, obviously you mentioned we are very underweight Aussie equities, but we do have some exposure. So yeah. obviously keeping an eye on everything. Um, are there some surprise green shoots? Is there, is there something in there that sort of is coming through from maybe the GDP explaining that as well? Or is it, you know, it was there some surprise in the upside from a sector basis as opposed to an individual company? Um, that that um, shows that there are you know there is some movement. Could it be a services or a healthcare or um, you know those sort of things? And, and then maybe the other side as well. Look, healthcare is strong. Yep. Um, 
it, depending upon which companies you're looking at, obviously, but uh, yeah, there are positives in healthcare, and a lot of that's um, NDIS, so okay. the, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Scheme, yep, yep. that's the yep. one. Um, I just don't remember the right, uh, <laughs> the, right, the, the right word for the acronym. I know the acronym, but the uh, uh, so so that's uh, that's driving growth in a, in a number of those areas. So and associated businesses, and 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 also that that is helping. Um, that's helping a, a portion of uh, quite low income. Workers, okay. which, which is a positive. Yep. Yeah, and, and sorry, just, just to interrupt there quickly. Um, the uh, the latest wages data came out shows that the healthcare and social services sector, which is is actually growing quite strongly. So um, the the wage growth there is the one bright spot for the economy. It's growing at about three and a half percent, whereas the rest of the economy's wages are obviously you know very weak. Ex, ex public service. And- and yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, the public service numbers aren't good, and, and there was yeah. a point you know the RBA has been making as well. Uh, with um, without some hypocrisy, in that um, the RBA has been making the point that saying to the government, "Well, you got to let private, you got to let um, public servants' wages rise, mm. because otherwise you can't expect you know private sector wages to rise if you're not you're not giving more money to, to public servants." Yep. Um, to which um, I, I th- there's there's not going to be a wrong government. To that. Yeah, wrong, wrong government. <laughs> yeah. But having said that, the RBA itself uh, gave quite meagre. Uh, pay wage rises to its own stuff. Yeah, but, but, one, the, but they are shockingly overpaid. I was going to say one percent of one million is still pretty handy. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, yeah, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about the uh, percentage the, change. The, okay. the, note, the notes and uh, yep. the, the people, the the guys actually printing the notes and all that. The okay. unions oh, there got a yep. um, a very small pay rise. Uh, they, they was talking about striking to to get higher wage rises. Yeah, right. Small. So so it, it is a um, uh, there's there's a talk about. Uh, Expect expectations for inflation and how that gets embedded in, in economies mm-hmm. and how they need to maintain that higher expectation for inflation because um, once you once a low expectation gets ingrained into economy, then wage rises get uh, pinned to that expectation. Yeah, sure. And I would argue we're already there. Mm. We've got the RBA's own, you know, when they're looking at their own staff and their own, you know, yep. They're, they're, they're factoring in this. The federal government's sort of saying, well, no, I'm not going to give any more than whatever 2% pay rises because, and, and you're looking at going, Because I don't well, need to. <laughs> I need, and we're trying to get wage, inf- we're trying to get inflation of 2.5%. That's yep. the goal. The goal is 2.5% inflation. Yeah. Mm. Well, so it, yeah. anything, in theory, if we were going to actually get there, which we, we haven't been, in theory, any any wage rise less than 2.5% is a pay cut. That's yep. right. That's so you yep. should be starting, you know, the, 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 the point for all these should be saying, well, there's probably some productivity gains in, in most industries mm. um you know the, the starting point probably should be three yep um but the starting point tends to be well one and a half or two yeah it, so. it's the classic case of you know do as i say not do as i do mm. and, and and everyone else everyone wants everyone else to pay more in wages but they don't do it themselves mm. so pretty much every if you're a corporate doing that if you're you know Federal government, you're doing that. State governments, etc. Mm. Okay. Yep. Sure. So, okay. So, so that was a long-winded way. Healthcare yep. was one. Yep. Uh, there is some of the some of the resources. There's some um, uh, some of the manufacturing side. So, uh, I guess the equipment side for, for that is starting to flow through. Okay. Um, so there's a bit of a positive science there, but the construction side, so there's no big projects coming. Yeah. But but some of the equipment. Um, and and real estate investment trusts and those sort of things—they seem to be had a good had, run of late. Yeah, I think a lot of that's been uh, bond yeah, prices rather rates. than rather than anything else. I think you, you look at your rents, and your rents are pretty much um, you, you, you're limited now by people's incomes not rising, and so mm-hmm. um, and, and re- poor retail sales. Yeah. So um, yeah, on the rent side, it's, it's quite difficult as well. Okay. Yeah, much growth. Mm. All right. Sure. Just got a quick question here uh, from Stomper, a listener. Uh, can make me, correct me if I'm wrong. 
Uh, but aren't many of these projects excluded from the government budget? Budget, sorry. Um, I'm imagining this is a government capex because they're built for sale, later sale to corporations. Uh, MBN West Connex, uh, given as examples. Uh, they increase government debt, but the costs are borne through tolls and charges, so they're quarantined from the budget. Yeah, it's off balance sheet, a lot of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah the capex, so they wouldn't be so in those government capex figures. Uh, I believe they are. No, no, they they they've been the capex figures. They're not they're mm. not in the uh, the budget balance figures. Yeah, right. okay. so yeah. So the the trick there is you you still got to spend the money, so it still comes through in the capex. Yeah. But then you just from a profit and loss perspective, with it, with air quotes around <laughs> profit and loss perspective, is you say, well, they're not they're not part of my P and L. Yeah. I'll just kind of move them onto my balance sheet, and then I'll sell them and take a profit or loss on on the sale of the asset. Right. Okay. So so the capex is is effectively a cash flow type measure you yep. try to measure what's what's actually been spent but then I'll, from a budget balance perspective i can still say to people hey i got a surplus yeah and okay. then try but, to but, but i think stomper's point was uh you know for example there are there are cases with the say the, the westgate tunnel where the government's not actually taking the investment the, the um they've, they've done a cozy deal with say uh transurban for mm. transurban to pay the bulk of the cost to extend tolls for 15 years. Mm. So that doesn't actually come out of the, uh, no, the oh. government balance sheet, but yes. we're all going to be paying for it through, it through, through private sheet. taxes because <laughs> yeah. of three tolls, yeah. which is basically private tax. Mm. Yeah. Same, and, same diff. Uh, and, but also we see that in the in the private CapEx numbers. And actually within those private CapEx numbers, that was that was actually one of the ones, I, one of the charts I didn't put up was um, that's been the case, uh, I can't remember the exact scale, but I think it's about half percent of GDP where... We've basically moved from government spending on uh, water, toll roads, you know, uh, rail, those types of factors. It might have been as much as 1% of GDP over the last 15, 20 years, mm. which has effectively just been moved from government to, to private. Yep. So, so yes, you won't see it in the government numbers, but um, the effect should be we should see on the private side, we should actually see all those, uh, that number that was sort of trailing down the private side actually be ticking up because of these other projects. And, and, and you'll and, pay either way, whether it's through tax or through tolls, yeah, sure. <laughs> or through through private tax or public tax, mm. yeah. same diff. Mm. All right, fantastic. All right, well, on that note, uh, we'll finish up. Thanks very much, gents. And uh, coming up next week, we're going to be looking at the ticking debt bomb. Uh, so corporate debt levels around the world, and I think we're doing a focus on the US as well. Uh, so that's same about time, same about channel. Thursday, the nineteenth of September, uh, at twelve thirty Eastern Standard Time on our Nucleus Wealth Live webinar page look forward to that and uh, i believe uh, our uh, chief strategist david lillian smith will uh, be joining us so if you're listening in david we'll see you then and on that note well that's it for now and thanks for watching if you like what you heard today and you'd like to hear more head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash subscribe give us your email address and in return we'll send you a weekly email with new webinar topics links for our podcasts and other news from nucleus wealth I certainly hope you've got something out of today as I have and we'll look forward to catching you with the next one. Cheers.